As you stand in body or spirit, will very likely come before God's word the way Jesus and the disciples would have, reciting what was known as the Shema, or he called it, of course, the Great Commandment. If you'll follow after me in Hebrew, we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Chad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, today, we finally come to the end of the flood story. It is uh, chapter uh, nine, after waters now have receded on Noah. And this is what happens, beginning in verse eight of chapter nine. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, if you keep up much with um, current events, uh, you know that at any time around the globe, there are always all sorts of tricky negotiations or um, are, are, are treaties being worked out from one kind or another. Some are economic, like the, uh, the European uh, Union, or some perhaps or have to do with uh, nukes like Iran or uh, North Korea. Some are uh, just sort of political in, uh, in nature. And you may have noticed on the news yesterday that perhaps one of the greatest negotiators of all times, uh, Kofi Annan, the uh, former uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, passed away. And it reminded me that negotiations are difficult and we need in this world good negotiators. But it also reminded me when I came to uh, the scripture this morning that I hope you will never say to yourself, I wish God would negotiate this treaty. Because if there's anything that I've seen in the Bible, it's that God is a terrible negotiator by our standards. Here's the example this morning, Genesis 9. Now, you already know the problem from the flood story. The problem is people are really bad. Creation is really evil. That's the issue. So God steps in, and though it breaks God's heart, God's heart, God does something about it. And then now, after the flood, God's sort of reestablishing things, and, uh, and God uh, is going to now make this a negotiation with all humankind and every living creature. But if you notice, God doesn't even ask for any verification in this particular treaty. God doesn't say, now, all right, now I want to see evidence that you've cleaned up your act. Spoiler alert, they don't. Humans don't get better in, in the Bible. Uh, God doesn't do that. Instead, God says, look, you can verify me. You can know that I'm going to keep my end of the deal to never destroy the world again by flood. And you can know it because you're going to look in the clouds and I'm going to look in the clouds after it rains 
and we're going to see a rainbow. Essentially, God says, I'll take responsibility in this negotiation. You don't have to do anything. Well, I don't really know. That's a deal many of us would settle for in our, uh, in our families or in our communities or nationally or across the world. We always think there's kind of two sides to everything. But in this deal, there's one side that counts, and it's God's side. And God says, I'm not going to destroy you. And when you look in the cloud and see the rainbow, it'll be my sign. I think that's fascinating because I think when we uh, look at the, and see the rainbow today, we think of all sorts of other things now, don't we? Uh, for some, it's, it's a, a symbol of a political movement. For others, it's a symbol of wider inclusion of all kinds of people. Uh, for others, it's, um, uh, it's a, a religious retreat like the walk to Emmaus. Uh, for Others, it's a toy that their daughters played with or granddaughters played with years ago that were rainbows. And for a few hardcore people, it's Tom Clancy's video game based on Rainbow Six. We see a lot of things, but sometimes we don't see what the Israelites saw. They saw a covenant. The word in Hebrew is barit, and it is used seven times, which is an important number, as you know, in the Bible. Seven times God says, I'm gonna make this covenant. And I think too often we not only forget what rainbow was really about, but we also forget that God isn't about contracts. God is about covenants. In the bulletin this morning, there's really good helpful information um, by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who talks about the difference between a contract and a covenant. Essentially, a contract is two or more people who get together for mutual advantage so they can each find benefit. In a covenant, two or more people get together out of shared trust and loyalty to do together what neither of them can do alone. Uh, the, a, a contract usually is measured by interests and whether I get what I want and you get what you want. Uh, and Sachs says, but a covenant in the Bible is measured more by transformation. How do people change because of this relationship. A contract, he said, is about me or it's about you, but a covenant is always about us. So for example, a prenup is a contract. A marriage is a covenant. It's bigger than just the two parties and it's formed out of loyalty and trust. And that's what's going on. Actually, God's not negotiating a treaty. God's not negotiating a contract. What's happening here is God is negotiating a promise or a covenant. And God's doing it unilaterally. God says, you may change and get better, but it doesn't matter. I'm still not going to destroy the world again by flood. So God says, it's my part of the bargain that counts. I'm not worried as much about yours in this state. And we see it again in Genesis 17. This is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. You may have heard it. God tells Abraham um, much later after Noah to take these animals and split them in half. And then it's called in the ancient world a blood path. And what happens is uh, when you make a, a, a deal with somebody uh, or even a covenant, uh, you cut the animals in half. And so there's there's a path and of course there's blood. And you walk through the middle of it as saying, I will keep this covenant. And if I don't, then you can cut me in half and you can cut all my family in half too. And so we're told when God uh, tells Abraham to cut these animals in half and the path appears, Abraham gets a little nervous. 
But here's what happens. God goes through, like, I'll keep my part of the bargain, but doesn't ask Abraham to go through. God comes through once, you might remember, as as a, a smoking pot. And another time as a torch, God comes through twice as as saying, I will not only keep my end of the bargain, Abraham, I will keep your end of the bargain. God's covenant here is unilateral. It's unconditional. God's going to love and be faithful to us whether or not we are faithful to God. Now, I say all this because in our world, we're mostly about contracts. What did, did we get what we want? Did they get what they want? Uh, and we measure things, I mean, by whether we get it or not. I mean, how many times have we heard the phrase in an election year, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, it's always like, did we get our benefit? That's not inappropriate. But I think what faith has to offer is to say, you know, there's another way to measure things. There's another way to do it to say, one party will simply say to the other, I'm gonna stick with you no matter what. I think the world needs to see from us more covenant and less contract. And, and people do it all the time. It just doesn't get publicized. This past week, two weeks at our church, I've seen family members of somebody in hospice take shifts round the clock at the bedside, sleeping right by the bedside or sleeping in a couch adjoining to the, next to the person who is in their last days. I never asked them, hey, what are you getting out of this? Did y'all sign a deal on this? You know, was this your stipulation? What was this person going to do? Because it wasn't a contract. It was a promise. It was a covenant. Um, I, I know families in our church this past week that drove a few hundred miles to gather for the surgery of, a, of another person in their family out of town. You may uh, know that in our community, um, uh, there was a a terrible auto accident and an orphaned person and people, relatives and community stepped up to say, we will make sure this orphan gets all the benefits of family life and community. None of those are contractual. They are all just unilateral promises that people make. It happens all the time. We just don't celebrate it enough because that's the way God is with us and God encourages us to be that way with one another. Uh, Dinah has been talking in the last uh, couple weeks about an article she read. It was the most viewed article, opinion article in, uh, online in 2016 in the New York Times. It's by a guy named Alan DeBotton. And the title, you may have seen it, is Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And he writes this article and he said, I could have, I could have also written about why you will choose the wrong job, why you will go to the wrong college, I would add, why you will be at the wrong church. And basically said, in, in the old days, marriages were made out of like reasonableness. They weren't feelings. It's like, I got a piece of land in my family. You got the piece of land adjoining if we could join our lands together. And so we arrange a marriage or I've got my kingdom over here. You're, uh, I, I need to make sure we get along over there. King Solomon, by the way, was a genius at this in the Old Testament. And so marriages were for uh, uh, maybe for more matters, practicality and reason. 
and the track record on them was not particularly good. Um, some of you probably got interested like I did when Harry and uh, Meghan got married and, and remembered all the Americans that went over and brought their money to British uh, to get British titles. And very few of those marriages turned out to be very happy. But he said, what we did is we traded in the marriage of reasonableness for the marriage of feeling. And he said, one of the things that distinguishes a marriage of feeling was we got married so the feeling we have while we were courting could be permanent. We married sort of optimistically that things would not change. And he said, and the track record on that hasn't been particularly great either. He said, his suggestion was, I think we need to marry out of pessimism, not optimism. In other words, when we marry we need to realize this person's not always going to do everything I want. This person is not always, this feeling I have today when recording is not always going to be the feeling that we have. And, and then what is suggested was, I suggest you marry somebody not because you're so compatible and you have all these things in common. He says, marry somebody who knows how to generously negotiate the differences between the two of y'all. If, when, if there are struggles, someone who will generously and their differences deal with those. And when I started thinking about that, I don't know if it's true or not, but it made me think, if it is true, God is a much better negotiator than I gave God credit for. Because what God is doing is to saying, I have a certain standard in a way that life should be lived. You're not living up to it, and it's probably always going to be that way, but I'm going to negotiate the differences between us. And when you fail to do what I want you to do, I will lean in and love you. When you do the very things I don't want you to do, I will lean in and love you. When somebody hurts you deeply, I will lean in and love you. When you are wounded by grief in life, I will lean in and love you. God negotiates the differences by unilaterally drawing closer to us, whether or not we draw closer to God. God actually turns out to be a pretty good negotiator. God is dealing with covenants, not contracts. It made me think of something I saw in the USA Today this week online. You know, the Redding Fire has been disastrous in California, the so-called car fire. Um, You may be aware of apparently how it started was uh, there was a couple that was pulling a trailer. The trailer got a flat tire. Um, The trailer hit the, the, the road, sparks flew, jumped the road and went into the grass and, and there you go. One woman who was, uh, it lives in Redding found out that Uh, the trailer was driven by apparently an 81-year-old man and his wife had asked him to take the trailer even though he was hesitant to do so. So now she was being covered in grief and apparently was inconsolable, crying about the destruction, crying about the loss of firemen, crying about all of this. And she was just beyond consolation. And a young woman, I found this out and she started a Facebook campaign and started a campaign in her church to reach out to this inconsolable woman whose flat tire had started all of this. And soon another uh, woman uh, uh, joined in and started another site. They started going through all the messages and the cards and and gifts and organizing them to bring to uh, the inconsolable woman their consolation from an entire community. 
the comment on the woman who came, Karen Winters, who came and joined in a little bit later, she said, what you had here was an ocean of love and mercy and compassion. They asked a county official about this, and his response was, this is an amazing story of community and hope. How in spite of the tragedy and in spite of the trailer that caused the tragedy, the owners of the trailer were surrounded unilaterally with love and grace. When you look at that, I hope you see a rainbow. When you look at that, I hope you see a covenant. When you look at that, I hope you see God.